This, 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 we are gathered here today for the Fight Disciples UFC and Boxing Talk. How you doing? Hope you're well. Welcome to Fight Disciples on Radio City Talk. Every Tuesday night between 6.30 and 7.30, we get stuck into the Merseyside fight scene. And with this being the off-season, where everybody's taking a little bit of a holiday, we are going to expand it away from the Merseyside boxing scene, but kind of loosely connect it back as we talk about things that are happening on a worldwide scale. Coming up a little bit later on in the show, we are going to discuss Nigel Benn versus Steve Collins, part three. Nick's buzzing for it. It's giving him a little bit of a of vigour. <laughs> He's thinking to himself that maybe he could get the gloves on and get back in the ring and do a little bit, don't you, son? It's a nostalgia fight, let's be honest. Uh, that's coming up in part three of the show, so make sure you stick around for that. We'll be discussing the pros and the cons uh, and the reasons why that fight will or won't happen. That's coming up a little later. Uh, right now, though, we're going to start with a Merseyside connection because we're a little bit upset that uh, Rocky Fielding's not been given the call uh, for the uh, World Boxing Super Series. Now, if you're listening to this and you're outside of Liverpool, you might think to yourself, why would he? Why would he get that call? And we understand that. That's fine. You're entitled to your own opinion. But he's the British champion. And the geezer that he was supposed to fight next in defending his Lonsdale belt has been leapfrogged right over the top of him and kabooshed straight into this uh, lucrative tournament um, when he hasn't really competed at super middleweight uh, to any decent level. I'm referring to Jamie Cox. Now, Jamie Cox, I rate him as a fighter. I rated him extremely highly at uh, super welterweight. However, since he stepped up two weight categories to super middle and had a long, lengthy layoff and changed promoters and all that type of stuff, he has less than impressed me. Now, some mm-hmm. might say, well, Rocky Fielding's less than impressed me. When he stepped up uh, and took on Callum Smith, he got blown away We inside a couple of rounds. Yes, fair enough. All these points are absolutely valid. But if you're going to be selecting somebody uh, and sticking them into this particular tournament, if you're Eddie Hearn and Matchroom Promotions, that is, do you go with the new guy that really doesn't have any experience at this particular weight category? Or do you go with the British champion at this weight category? Mm. Discuss. This is open for discussion. Yeah, yeah. Need a proven not- tournament winner, might I say as well. Prize Rocky winner. Fielding won prize fighter. Yeah, yeah. You know, so he's he's made his name in tournament boxing and that's what's projected him here. I just feel for Rocky because I know, speaking to Rocky, that he knew nothing about this. As far as he was concerned, he was in camp now to face Jamie Cox in Liverpool in September or October. Um, his camp had begun. Uh, well, you know, he, he'd started preparing for that fight, and the first he knew about Jamie Cox moving into the World Super uh, the World Super Tournament. I don't even know what it's called. World, World Boxing, Boxing Super, Super Series. Super Series. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the first he knew about it was what we knew about it, and that was when Eddie Hearn posted something on on Twitter earlier this week. Um, so to say it would be a, a punch to the stomach to Rocky Field and would be a massive understatement. You mm. know, the, when they announced the World Boxing Super Series, well done. Uh, they the the Sowlands maintained that it was going to be the best eight boxers on the planet in each weight division. Yeah. Now they're doing two. They're doing super middleweight and cruiserweight for this yeah. initial tournament. The Muhammad, Muhammad Ali Trophy, I think it's called. The winner, yeah. the final winner, gets is guaranteed ten million. Is that right? That's well, the ten million is the prize pot. Right. So therefore, that will be so it's divided above them, depending on where yeah. you finish yeah. in the tournament. This is what this is the for those that don't know what we're talking about because it is a little bit confusing. You may remember Carl Froch competing in the Super Six a few years back, yeah. which was brilliant, absolutely Ace. brilliant tournament, uh, taking on the likes of Andre Ward and Kessler and people like that. Yeah. The Jermaine Taylor fight was probably awesome. one of my favourite fights of all time. Yeah. Um, 
that was absolutely brilliant. So kind of trying to emulate something like that. World Boxing Super Series. As, as Nick rightly says, they are this year... Uh, between September and May, it will be between cruiserweights and then it will be between super middleweights. So in each weight class, eight elite boxers will battle it out in a bracket-style elimination tournament with four quarterfinals happening in September and October of this year, two semifinals happening in January and February of next year, and one final uh, happening in May of 2018. The winners of the World Boxing Super Series will rightly receive the greatest prize in boxing, the Muhammad Ali Trophy. Can I just point out, just because you stick Muhammad Ali's name on a trophy doesn't mean that it is the greatest prize uh, in boxing. Now, we will get onto the cruiserweights in a minute because that matchup, for me, is exactly what this tournament is supposed to be. How many times do we sit on this show and talk about, oh, there's too many belts in boxing, there's a champion here, there's a champion there, who's the proper champions? So if you look at the cruiserweights that have got involved in this, all four belts that are currently held by world champions in the cruiserweight division are all signed up for this tournament, which means that at the end of the cruiserweight tournament, there will be a unified, undisputed, cruiserweight champion of the world now for me tick 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 that is absolutely brilliant what we want superb however i will make this argument regarding the difference between cruiserweights and super middleweights this for cruiserweights this tournament for cruiserweights is the best opportunity that they are going to get to make some money yeah because if you look at that um division as a whole where's the superstar Who's the superstar that is in the cruiserweight division that is the pay-per-view star that's going to make somebody some cash? We absolutely love Alexander Usyk. We think he's absolutely brilliant, the big Ukrainian fella. Yeah. All right, But, but he's the, not a pay-per-view star. Does the normal man on the it. street know who he is? Exactly. Absolutely not. The big pay-per-view exactly star... exactly why Tony Bellew went up to heavyweight. The big pay-per-view star is Tony Bellew in and the cruiserweight he's division. No he's not there. He's not the yeah. WBC uh, outright champion. He's the Emiratus champion at cruiserweight. Mm-hmm. He's moved up in heavyweight because he knows full well there's no cash in that particular division. So... For me, cruiserweights, this tournament, absolutely made for them. And we could get a star out of the cruiserweight division. Whoever wins this could potentially become a pay-per-view star. Listen, it's going to be Alexander Usyk. He's going to smash everybody to bits. And he will be the unified champion, in my opinion, at the end of this. All right. So he could be the breakout star from this. However, you then compare that to super middleweight. Mm -hmm. There's money in the super middleweight division. The super middleweights do not need the World Boxing Super Series in order for them to make money. Now, because of that, that makes it incredibly hard to persuade super middleweights to then sign up for the tournament. The likes of your Callum Smiths, your James DeGales, your Darrell brothers, all these guys that are either champions or mandatory challenges to these belts already, it's very difficult for them to sign up because, let's be honest, Callum Smith can go to America and beat Darrell, become the WBC champion. You're telling me there's not five million in it for him and DeGale as a unification match between him and the IBF champion? Come on, man, there's money already in this tournament. Do they need the World Boxing Super Series? The answer for me would be no. Hence, when I look at this now on paper, the super middleweights is incredibly weaker than uh, the cruiserweight side of that draw with only George Groves as confirmed. champion, yeah. He's the only confirmed champion. We're, we're anticipating Zoig to be uh, confirmed at some point, the guy that holds the other WBA belt. But George Groves, the WBA super uh, middleweight super champion, I know it gets confused with all these supers, uh, but he's the only guy that's put his belt on the line. So at the end of the day... It's a WBA tournament? 
at the moment for the super middleweights. Yeah. So you look down the guys. It's filling up, isn't it? You say at the moment, but it's filling up. How many's in the super middleweights now? Confirm How many's confirmed? Four. Confirmed four. There's only those four confirmed. So you've got George Groves. You've got the Swedish kid, which yeah. is uh, Scotland. Is that right? How, how I pronounce Eric that? Scotland, yeah. That's him. Undefeated fighter. Uh, announced on the same day that they uh, announced Eric Scogland uh, was Jamie Cox, who we're debating now, should that really have been Rocky, Rocky Fielding, Fielding, if you're going to go with a Jamie Cox. And they have now uh, confirmed uh, that Bremer, the former light heavyweight, will be stepping... Uh, all right, he's ranked as a light heavyweight, but he will be stepping down Jürgen Bremer to super middleweight to compete in this. Now, don't get me wrong, Bremer, I've no problem with that. Former yeah, world, world well, title list. He hasn't fought at super middleweights for no, 10 no, no. years. But I've no problem with him being an elite fighter. That's cool. Yeah, he's, he's, he's a name. He, he's, you can stick him in there. He's a world-class fighter, yeah. I'll give you that. Absolutely. I'll definitely give you that. You can't argue against that. But where's Gilberto Ramirez, the WBO champion? Yeah. Where's, where's James DeGale, the IBF champion? Yeah. Where's Callum Smith or Darrell, the WBC? They have to be the other For me, WBC they champion. have to be the other four. They have to be the other four. If they're not and, the other four, then there's no point doing this tournament and, with super middleweights. And uh, the other Darrell brother and us category have just been mandated by the IBF to fight again because yeah, they weren't happy with the way that time. that fight finished. Yeah. So therefore, they've got to be in the tournament as well. So who do you get rid of? You've got to get rid of Scoglin and uh, Jamie Cox, haven't you? You've got to kick two of them two lads out. Yeah, well, but you know, even with Scoglin, now he's 26-0. He's pretty much a career super middleweight. This is a guy that is a legit super middleweight. I think he's the IBF... Intercontinental or the WBA yeah. Intercontinental, you know, so he's kind of a legit super middle. In fact, no, he's a light heavy. He fights at light heavy mm. Scotland anyway. So I don't know. The, the, su- the super middleweight is a mess compared to the cruiserweight, and that's why it's hard to get excited. And that's why I was upset when I seen Jamie Cox because I was just like, Rocky Fielding, what has Rocky Fielding got to do to get a chance to fight? For you know, to get a meaningful fight mm. after Callum Smith, you know, we we said at the time that loss to Callum Smith could have happened to anyone. Got blown out in the first round. His opportunity still will come. But I tell you what, is he struggled to come back in any way, shape, or form? It seems like Eddie Hearn doesn't really want to know him anymore. Why is Eddie, I don't understand why Eddie Hearn is p- pushing the potential British challenger above the British champion to go into a tournament of this magnitude when Rocky Fielding's waiting and ready to go. He wants an opportunity. And on paper, he makes more sense than Jamie Cox. Jamie Cox is not a super middleweight. And the bits of super middleweight that we have seen is he's looked poor. Mm. I I, I feel for Rocky Fielding. I don't understand the situation. When they said World Boxing Super Series will be the eight best boxers in this weight division who are available. Yeah. They will all be ranked top 15. Top 15 yeah, yeah. by the world governing bodies. Yeah, yeah. In those now, weight categories. Jamie Cox is only recognised by the WBA as a super middleweight because he picked up that WBA super middleweight trinket last time out or whatever it was. So he's the WBA interim intercontinental whatever <laughs> champion. Blah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically, he's, he's on the fringe of the WBA rankings, which probably qualifies him. But when you're looking at the type of guys that are in there already and the type of guys that are in the cruiserweight tournament, he's a massively weak link. Yeah. Likewise, the Swedish kid who fights up at, at, at light heavyweight and uh, in some ways, Bremer coming down. Like, Mate, you, you said it's the best the super middleweight Gro- on the this planet. This is the George Groves tournament. That's George exactly Groves, what it is. Smash them all to bits. So far, it just looks like a, a tournament to make George Groves look like he's the number one on the planet. But when this tournament starts, unlike the cruiserweight, I'm like, wow, we're finally going to find out who's yeah. the best cruiserweight on the planet. No one can argue with that. Mm. This tournament start to be like, okay, well, who's going to merge as the WBA champion? 
Because the IBF champion James the Gale's over there. Yeah. You've got Callum Smith and the Durrells over there with the WBC belt. They, they're better belts anyway. Yeah. So crack on WBA and it have also, nice tournaments. It also ties George Groves up until next May. Yeah, exactly. He can't yeah. do anything. So therefore, all the super middleweight division is going to develop. Um, we're going to get He's going to miss out on a massive payday, which Absolutely. Callum Smith could potentially get against the Gale. Absolutely. We're going to get Callum um, um, fighting Durrell for the WBC belt. James the Gale's going to come out of injury. He's going to be wanting a fight yeah, yeah. before next May. Course. Groves has signed up to this tournament and he's uh, he's already he's out of action really now in the real world yeah. until next June, next July. It's weird. It is it's such a weird setup. This the super middleweight tournament, I've got to be honest, is such a letdown so far. Mm. I think the you know, we were saying last week, hopefully it's because Callum Smith and Darrell did in negotiations to be a part of this tournament, and that's why we haven't had that date confirmed, that's why that belt isn't locked down. I've got some developments on that. But if that hasn't happened, well, have you not heard that Durrell is now attempting to change to the it. venue? He yeah, wants to he change wants to the move venue it again. back again to Michigan. Yeah, he wants to go back to the place where there's no running water. Come yeah. on, sunshine, the deal is done, my exactly, friend. Exactly. Yeah, Let's we've get... we've got the contract. We've agreed to yeah. Los Angeles. We're going. Mate, better have because <laughs> so, I booked my flight. Exactly. Don't be changing it to Michigan, son. I can't get a connector. <laughs> I don't want to go to Michigan. No, neither do I because I fancy a running shower. <laughs> um, more developments on that when we get confirmed uh, dates, venues and what have you regarding the Callum Smith situation. I don't think it will be allowed to be moved again. It will have to happen in September. It will have to happen in Los Angeles as agreed. But this World Boxing Super Series does seem a little bit of a farce in the super middleweight division. However, the cruiserweights, we give it a massive tip because it looks amazing. If anything, they've got a little bit greedy. They should have not done two weight categories. They should have just gone with the cruiserweights, yeah. got everybody excited, smash it this year, showcase and it, then come and back gone, next hey, year with a different weight uh, division. Absolutely. Look at this. This is amazing. Um, let's do this in a different weight category to showcase yeah. some talent. And you'd, people would have been biting people's arms off to get in, involved with it. I know, but the Sourlands have signed up a bunch of super middleweights, knowing full well they were <laughs> going to do this tournament. Like I, you say, then the, the missing two should definitely be Callum Smith and Darrell. But don't forget, they haven't even confirmed Michael Kessler yet. And there's only one reason Michael Kessler's come back, and that's to be in this tournament. Yeah. They ain't, ain't going to come back and sign with the Sourlands and let them do the tournament to see who's the best super middleweight on the planet and be on the outside, is he? Mm. He's going to be in this tournament, I guarantee. So, uh, for me, they've dropped the ball with the super middleweight. It'll be interesting to see now how they finish this tournament. There needs to be more than one belt in there. There's got to be. Mm. Otherwise, it's not legit. Um, You listen to Radio City Talk, us debating various things in the world of boxing, loosely connected to Merseyside. Um, We are, of course, going to be debating um, the granddad match between Nigel Benn and Steve Collins. That sounds like I'm being extremely derogatory and patronising because these are two absolute legends that I grew up watching in the 90s, absolutely idolising. Do I want to see it in 2017 or slash 2018? Absolutely not. Anyway, that's coming up a little bit later on the show. So make sure you stick with us. You're listening to the Fight Disciples podcast. Now, if you're a boxing fan, unless you've been living under a rock... um, and don't have any social media whatsoever, you may not have seen the outspill uh, from the Manny Pacquiao-Jeff Horn fight at the weekend. Now, Jeff Horn, an Australian, former school teacher from Brisbane, becomes the WBO welterweight champion of the world in a very, very close four fight, my opinion only. However, the outspill on social media has been that Manny Pacquiao, the legend of the game, the former eight-division world champion, was robbed, robbed, daylight robbery. Because this fight took place on a Sunday afternoon in Australia. He's gone to somebody's own backyard. He's outblasted the Australian. And he's been absolutely done over. I personally didn't see it like that. You're going to get more of an in-depth look and a bit more of an in-depth discussion on the fight itself on episode 115 of our award-winning podcast. 
That is available on our website, fightdisciples.com. You'll be able to get that tomorrow morning, Wednesday morning. Make sure you subscribe. It'll be there for you. We'll go through the whole fight and we'll tell you exactly what we thought round for round, pound for pound um, on the fight itself. But it's got me thinking about how people view boxing, how people score boxing, how people uh, distinguish what a robbery is yep. in this sport. Now, we've heard that phrase so many times down the years. Oh, you can't go to such and such a place because you'll get robbed. Oh, did you see such and such a fight? Absolute robbery. Is it a robbery or is it just because it didn't go your way? Now, at the weekend, ESPN showed this fight in the United States of America for absolute freemans. Uh, and one of their commentators, a well-renowned commentator in the in the shape of Teddy Atlas, if you've watched any fighting down the year, I've no doubt you've come across Teddy Atlas, a guy that's been following boxing for many, many years. And he has an opinion on boxing, of which sometimes I agree with, sometimes I disagree with, but that's it. All it is, is an opinion. You might be listening to this show right now, agreeing or disagreeing with us. That's fine. You've got your opinion. I've got my opinion. It's not going to be swayed because... Um, I disagree or agree with you, just like my opinions not agreeing or disagreeing or swayed just because Teddy Atlas says it, or Dan Raphael, also connected to ESPN, or Lennox Lewis, former heavyweight champion of the world, says it. For me, a robbery is when it is absolutely, without question, every single round can be scored in favour of one particular guy. And not just me saying that because I've got a biased view between uh, for a fighter that I follow or I'm a fan of, but when the whole boxing fraternity, people that I know, people that I work with, people that I respect, people that are in the game, on the television, in the press or wherever it may be, are saying the exact same thing, where somebody obviously somewhere has received a brown envelope to maybe swear the judges. It, it has happened in the past. Of course it's happened in the past. Mm -hmm. But for me, that is what a robbery is. At the weekend, when you see a fight like that, that is so close and you can't really call round for round, you can't really say this round or this round uh, is definitive towards this particular fighter, I think it's very, very unfair to turn round at the end of it just because it didn't necessarily go the way that you wanted it to go or believe it to go to then distinguish that the fight was a robbery? I think it's got to be... I think you've got to approach it, and I think everyone scores fights differently. Let's make that clear. But a robbery for me is when you get to the end of the fight and you're thinking, well, you know, it's complete shutout. Like, you, you, your guy in the corner, you believe... The guy in the red corner has won pretty much every round. Like, this is a easy night for the judges... Um, and it, and the judges see it the other way or go the other way, score it the other way. That's that is the only thing that defines robbery. And there has been robberies in boxing, of course, there has of this era as well. Um, you know, there's a list that we can come to that we can d debate about that we probably agree on that we're definitely robbery is one of them involving, well, at least one of them involving Manny Pacquiao. Um, but that fight at the weekend for me, I think it was the, there was two ways to score the fight. You either score it by you know, Pacquiao boxing off the back foot and pot shotting and using his technical ability, or you score it with Jeff Horn's aggression and pace of the fight and the fact that, you know, he seemed to be landing more clean punches um, at a more steady rate. So, you know, I think this is, it's a good thing about boxing that there is an element of human error. I like that in all sports. I think, you know, football as well has proven itself that mm. video technology just does not work. Um 
I think the human element adds to the sport and adds to the occasion. But, you know, sometimes judges get it woefully wrong and you've got to kind of suggest, you've got to kind of question what their motives are. But certainly in case of Pacquiao versus Horn at the weekend, um, you know, the, the coverage that I think we, 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 we got on Box Nation was probably a lot fairer than what the American audience got on ESPN because obviously ESPN getting Manny Pacquiao was a massive coup and it was a big thing for terrestrial TV there and to see their guy, suddenly this guy that they've been caught and, and they think they can build an entire terrestrial boxing campaign on the back of look like an old man who's finished um, must have been heartbreaking for them so mm. they've tried to sugarcoat it as good as possible but I thought Box Nation's coverage of it was far more accurate the fight was very close it certainly was not a robbery um, I could have gone either way I would not argue with anybody who'd scored it one round either way for either fighter because scoring it myself I saw, on multiple occasions I scored it in different directions however a robbery for me has got to be when you think easy night for the judges, complete shutout here. Um, of which we saw with Manny Pacquiao and Timothy Bradley. Yes, completely. We watched that fight. Yeah, and the fight 100%. The, compared the two fights, right? So the fight at the weekend, and we're going to get to CompuBox in a minute and the stats that come along with fights, okay, and how those are distinguished within a fight. Now, first of all, the fight at the weekend, Manny Pacquiao, Jeff Horn. Manny Pacquiao fought on the back foot for a large percentage of that fight. Round number nine, uh, obviously, is, is a different entity altogether. But until round number nine, round number eight even, Manny Pacquiao didn't really come forward. He was pot-shotting, he was working his way on the back foot. Now, I have no problem with that, because that is obviously a talent within boxing to be able to do that. You want your guy to come forward, and you want to counter-attack him, okay? Yeah. That's fine, and that is scoring. Of course it is. But if you only do that for 20 to 30 seconds of a round and have success for 20 to 30 seconds of a round yep. and the work is clean and yes you're connecting with the head and the body and various things like that and you are landing scoring shots for that short period of time and for the rest of the round the other guy Jeff Horn in this occasion is aggressive coming forward and okay he's not landing clean but he's aggressive, he's coming forward he's roughing you up on the inside a different yep. style of fighting altogether that has to be rewarded as well. And therefore, that's where the debate comes as we talk about on episode 115 of our podcast, which is available tomorrow. We, It's distinguishing what is worthy of the 10-9 score at the end of that round. Is it two and a half minutes of aggression yeah. or is it 30 seconds of classy pot shotting? It really comes down to what you like as a as a judge then, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, of course it does. Yeah, It comes down to your taste and what you recognise. Um, I think for, the way I score a fight in this instance, when it's so close like this, like I, I watched it unbelievably, incredibly three times now. And last night when I watched it um, for the final time, I, I sat and scored it properly. Now the way, when when it's so close like this and the two previous occasions I'd seen Pacquiao win and I'd seen Horn win. So what I do now is I, I kind of, when I watch it this time, I will break the round down into 30 second bursts. So, mm. so I will slice each round up into six. Yeah. And I will kind of go, okay, 30 seconds on the clock. Horn has won them 30 seconds. Next 30 seconds, Horn's won them. So for me now, Horn is one third of a way to winning this round. Yeah. So all he's got to do basically is win the second minute. And then Manny's got to do something pretty spectacular in the final minute mm. to sway the judges yeah. or to sway the round. Because you can have a guy dominating a round for two and a half minutes, you know, edging it, you know, we're doing it. But then in the final 30 seconds, you can have a guy 
gets completely caught, almost knocked out, rocking on the ropes everywhere. It's impossible then not to score it to the guy who's had who had a mean- rocket. Yeah, yeah, for the meaningful shots. Because if you then compare the Horn fight to the Timothy Bradley fight, which we both agree well was a, a robbery. Terrible, yeah. If you look at that fight, it's a similar tactic, but there was more of it from Manny. Yeah, yeah. He was yes, he was fighting on the back foot and he was pot shotting, but he was doing it more convincingly. He, well he was beaten he was beaten uh he was beating Timothy Bradley to the point. Absolutely. That you, was the difference. Absolutely. So Bradley was coming forward. He was trying to be aggressive. He was trying to shut those distances down. But Manny's just sat there going, okay, sound, chuck it, mate. Bang. He was just walking on to the bank. Exactly. Every yeah. single time. It wasn't a case of, oh, he's only he's done it for 20 seconds there. And he looked brilliant for 20 seconds, took 30 seconds. Yeah. He looked sound all the way through the round. That's right. So the aggression was nullified because it's okay walking forward, as we've said. Walking forward and being aggressive is one thing, but if you're not landing anything meaningful and the other guy's landing meaningful shots on you for the whole three minutes, yeah. then you give it to the guy who's landing the meaningful shots for the whole three minutes. In the horn fight, similar tactic, but he's only landing meaningful shots for 20, 30 seconds, so can you yeah. give him the round? And not even in all the rounds either. Every other round no. they seemed to be landing. You know, There were some rounds that Jeff Horn did all the work mm. and dominated for full three minutes. Then there was the round, like the ninth round, when Manny had him rocking and looked like he was going to stop him any mm. minute. Um, and it was testament to, to his conditioning and to Jeff Horn's heart that he mm. came out in the tenth round and, and took the fight back to Manny and kept himself in the fight. Listen, you know, I think... In recent times, obviously, there's that there's that fight we just talked about. Then uh, other ones that jump out to me: Pernell Whitaker when he absolutely schooled uh, Julio Cesar Chavez, and yet the judges scored that one a, a draw. draw. I believe, yeah, that was horrific. Um, That's oh, because he was a legend. You can't get you can't go against I know, the legend. I know exactly, but he just took, Whitaker absolutely took him to school. Then and, and Chavez was pound for pound best on the planet at the time. Uh, Oscar De La Hoya against Felix Trinidad. That was uh, yeah. that was a shocking decision, uh, and uh, you know. I still look back on Mayweather versus Castillo as being Mayweather's toughest test, and a lot of people thought Mayweather lost that fight. Mm. It certainly wasn't what the judges said it was. Uh, I thought Castillo was brilliant that night, and if anything, kind of shown that that's the fight Conor McGregor needs to be watching every night when he goes to bed now is Jose Luis Castillo's performance against Floyd Mayweather because that was very close. And then closer to home, the one that jumps out is uh, the big heavyweight, uh, Derek Chisora, where he fought that Robert Hellenius mm. and he, uh, he he beat him post to post and got robbed on a decision. So they're, they're robberies. You know, we have seen them. There's been some dodgy ones and there's been some dodgy ones up in Glasgow with Ricky Burns. He's had some favourable judging yeah. decisions recently. Let's not, you know, you know, let's not blame everybody else. We're, you know, the UK can be as bad as anywhere else. Um, certainly look at Germany. You know, there's been some absolute terrible decisions coming out of Germany in the last 10 years, especially with British fighters going over there trying to fight for belts. So they're what I would call robberies. This fight at the weekend was anything but. Regarding CompuBox, people who were arguing with me on social media and using CompuBox stats in order to back up their argument, I take no notice whatsoever of CompuBox stats. Let's just distinguish how they are coming about, right? These are not um, anything electrical within no, someone's no, it's gloves. Like a, it's not like there's a sensor pad no, inside the glove or anything like that. absolutely not. There's none of that. The, these are people that are sat ringside pressing buttons, yeah. basically judging the fight that's yeah, exactly. basically what is happening it is a judge at the side of the yeah. fight at the side of the ring pressing a button oh there's a jab there's yeah. a meaningful shot there's a jab that missed there's a there's a oh, there's a meaningful shot that missed yeah. that's all it is exactly. it is not it is not sight it's not proper categorically nailed on it's someone's opinion again exactly that's all compubox 100 <laughs> also what compubox does yes it will tell you who outlanded who 
per round, granted. Uh, now, if you look at the the fight at the weekend, if you look at the actual CompuBox stats, out of the 11 out of the 12 rounds, according to CompuBox, Manny Pacquiao outlanded Jeff Owen. Are no you chance. telling are you telling me that Manny Pacquiao won 11 rounds then no chance. out of that fight at the weekend? What it does not do is what Nick was saying right at the start of this little chat about uh, what is a robbery. It doesn't break down when those shots are landed. So you've got Manny Pacquiao, who is traditionally, he, he, he chucks pun- uh, punches in bunches mm-hmm. for, I don't know, he could probably chuck a hundred in a, in a minute, couldn't he, quite comfortably. Yep. So he chucks out, I don't know, an eight, nine, ten punch combo. That lasts, what, two seconds? Are you telling me he wins the round off the back of that? Yeah. That's exactly. basically what CompuBox is telling us that he's done. Oh, he's, he's, he's thrown a ton of punches. He's thrown a ton of punches and they've all landed. But over what period of time is, going back to our original argument, if he's done that over 20, 30 seconds, yeah. does that constitute winning the round? Well, the CompuBox stats, if you look at, if you analyse them in the aftermath of this fight, they they had Manny outpunching Jeff Horn two, two to, to one, one. Yeah, yeah. in the opening round. So for me, as soon as I'd see, as soon as I seen those stats and it said that Manny outpunched him two to one in the opening round, then completely disregard the compu stats from that moment forward because anyone, if you haven't got time to watch the fight, whatever, just go back and watch the first round with your eyes. Just watch the with first round with your actual eyes. Yeah, yeah. Don't listen to any compu stats and certainly don't listen to any American commentary. You know, I turn off the British commentary as well. Just watch it and judge that round yourself. And Jeff Horn wins that round convincingly. And so they therefore disregard all those stats. There you go. Um, I've no doubt you've got your own opinions and we welcome those. You're more than welcome to come and join us on a little bit more of a debate on our social media. Be respectful. We're not right. You're not right. It's an opinion. It's a, exactly. Well, that's, that's, that's sports, isn't it? You know, yeah. that's why you have that human error elements. It's like what you like best. Yeah. If you, it's like when you've got, when you, when you have different judges on different, different continents and different parts of the world, I, I know in this instance, it was two Americans and Argentinian judge, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, let's not think it was a home decision for the Australian, but different judges from different regions like different things. You know, mm. if you have a Mexican judge, he's more than likely going to score it on aggression. Well, the South American did. Yeah. The South American, but he had to win it by six rounds. Yeah. Because he was like, well, this is what we like to see. You, you're driving the fight. You're not just trying to stand off and counterpunch. The Americans obviously seen it a little bit tighter, but they still had Jeff Horn winning. So different judges from different markets and different fans from different markets will see different things. Yeah. But there's no way in the world anyone, I, I truly believe no one, I would love to sit with anybody that thinks that fight was a robbery. To, I would love to sit through 12 rounds with them and see them argue to me how Pacquiao won that fight via robbery because robbery means he clearly won let's say 10 of the 12 rounds that's a robbery if you think someone clearly won 10 of 12 and they didn't get the decision that's a robbery there you go the guys that did uh, CompuBox do they, he, he won 11 out of the 12 anyway more on that <clears throat> on our social media please come and join us at Fight Disciples on Facebook Twitter and Instagram you can also hear a little bit more of our thoughts on the actual fight itself um, on episode 115 of our award-winning podcast, which is available on our website tomorrow morning, fightdisciples.com. Please subscribe. Coming next, what do you make of Nigel Ben versus Steve Collins, part three? Farcical, or are you well up for it? You're listening to the Fight Disciples podcast. Now, the final part of today's show is to do with two guys that we've grown up watching throughout the course of the 90s and that were absolutely sensational fighters. Two lads that actually probably caught a lot of our imagination uh, and made us become uh, embroiled and love this particular sport. Referring to Nigel Benn and Steve Collins. Now, originally, Nigel Benn wanted to have a little bit of a ding-dong with his old adversary, Chris Eubank. 
he reckons Chris Eubank messed him around and it didn't necessarily happen. I don't know why. Um, I'm sure that will come out in the wash. However, now he's turned his attention uh, towards a man that beat him twice in 1996. I'm referring to Steve Collins. They want to do Nigel Benn versus Steve Collins part three. Both of these men are now into the twilights of their boxing career, yeah. if you can class being over the age of 50 as uh, as being the twilight, especially when they've got the gloves and not fought for 21 20 years, 21 years mm-hmm. something like that. Mm-hmm. When you first heard this become a thing, even though there's no sanctioning, there's no venue. They won't get it sanctioned. Well, the, the British, British Boxing Board of Control will not sanction Well, they've already said that they won't. Yeah, no um, chance. So... And they've no venue. They've just basically been on various radio shows and radio and TV appearances saying, yeah, we've shook hands, we've agreed on it. We're up for it if everything is right, financially from Steve Collins' point of view. And I think Nigel Benn, it's more of a putting a ghost uh, to bed type thing, which I don't get. I just don't Not understand. Age. Not at the age of 50 or whatever they are. So when you heard it, what did you originally think? Because when... I thought it was a joke when I first heard it. Yeah, same. I thought when Nigel Benn and Chris Eubank Jr. were talking originally, I thought, ah, oh, they're just having a bit of a crack. That they, You know what I mean? They, you can't take the fighter out of the fighter. You yeah. know what I mean? Well, I thought they were building up towards potential showdown for their sons. Get the two dads going at a bit of a ding dong. And then in two years time, you know, 18 months time or whatever, when Nigel's son has caught up to where to where Chris's son is, then obviously it makes sense to have a bit of a ding-dong and a world title fight with a few quid on the line. Uh, that's what I thought that was all about. And then suddenly the Steve Collins situations come up and I'm like, what? 21 years after they basically retired, certainly Nigel Benn retired in 96 after that loss to, mm. to Steve Collins. It's like, why? I don't understand. 21 years, why you would still have that burning inside you, mm. that desire to keep going, to keep fighting. It's so unusual. And... Uh, you know, that wasn't the real needle anyway. Ben Eubank was the real needle fight, you know. That was the one that you think that they both go to bed still stewing about one another. Collins thing, it can only be money for me, but... Well, I, I don't d- think it is for Nigel. Uh, for, for Steve Collins, I mean, he is quite blatantly come out, and I think he's dreaming when he says this, but he says, I'm looking for seven figures for this fight. I will, I will do the fight if it makes seven figures. There's not a cat in hell's no chance. chance that it makes him a million quid. No chance. No one's going to pay pay-per-view to watch two 50-year-old men going at it. It's just not a, It's not happening. Sky have already said, Eddie Earns already said, oh, well, I'm not putting it on. No. So who's going to put it on with that type of money? No chance. It, it can't happen because the border control won't have it, and whoever does try and sanction it and promote it. And listen, there'll be people out there jump, falling over themselves to try and promote it and get behind it because there's... There is money to be made is there, like, because people is are there? freaks. Do you want to see it? Well, listen, there's a whole tournament there in, in America which puts former UFC fighters that are near in their 50s on fights and they're making money. So there's obviously a, a market out there. You know, I, I spoke recently about going to see Thomas Ains when he was in his 40s fighting at Manchester Arena. It was only when I got there I realised that Oh my God, it's a 40-odd-year-old man. Mate. It's not the real Thomas Ains. Listen, you, you like multiple sports, not just boxing and UFC, right? So yeah, yeah. I've no doubt that in your illustrious career as a journalist, you will have been to, I don't know, a Masters football tournament yeah. or uh, some type of uh, testimonial or exhibition match that you've been to go and watch. And you've got that excited because, I don't know, you're a Liverpool fan, so maybe Kenny Dalglish was playing in it or Graham Sooners or maybe Grobler was in the bat- in the nets or something like that, right? So you're all that excited because when you were a kid and these guys were playing, it might, 
might have just passed you by a little bit. So yep. you want to be a well, part uh, of that and you yep. want to feel that. Relive 86. Absolutely, mate. You want to be right apart it. But then when you turn up, you've got your pie, you've got your pint, you've had a crack with your dad, you start the match, you realise they're a bit rubbish when yeah. they're about 50 or 60 years of age, right? <laughs> the game's extre- incredibly slow. It's incredibly boring. You're thinking, I might go downstairs for a pint and pop up for the second half or something. Yeah, That's exactly what this is, mate. Completely. In the Completely 90s. agree. Early 90s, to be precise, for Nigel Benn. 90s, right through to the end of his career. 1997 for Steve Collins. Yeah. Elite. The best super middleweights on the planet by an absolute country mile. The ding-dongs that they set up between themselves and obviously with Chris Eubank uh, and various other fighters that were knocking around about that time, like the likes of Gerald McClellan and all those types of boys. Oh, my days. I've watched the tapes back. Sadly, I was a little bit too young to be right a part of it in the early, early 90s when Ben and Eubank first got together. But by 1996, this was right up my street, mate. On proper TV, having a right old watch of two of the best, three of the best, four of the best going toe-to-toe because that's what we want as boxing fans. Now, do I really want to see two old blokes slug it out? If I want to do that, mate, I'll go to Weatherspoons on a Friday afternoon, fill somebody up with a load of ale and let them go toe-to-toe. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what it feels like. And um, it's kind of embarrassing as well at this stage where they're even even talking like that, you know, that they're... You know, did he, how old are they? They're both in the 50s 53 now, and 52. 52, 53. So, yeah. listen, come on. Have you not got a little bit more well, maturity about you? A well, bit more, you know... Steve Collins. has sailed. Like, let's be straight. Steve Collins. I, I know I Steve. I, was, I did a TV show with Steve. Most people in this city will probably remember. It was called Boxing Academy. It was probably about 10 years ago now. And me and Steve were, were kind of representing the North. And we had a team of amateur boxers in Liverpool. And they went up against amateur boxers from London. So I spent quite a few weeks with Steve. And he's an absolute diamond. And yeah. that, even at that stage, that was 10 years ago. And even then, he was like, absolutely no chance would I ever go back to boxing. Right my, day is, right my day is done. And I agree with that. Because I think that that's where Steve Collins is at. I don't think Steve Collins needs this. I don't think he's got any ghosts uh, to get rid of. No, genuinely don't. But if somebody's going to go, right, you're 50-odd years of age, there's another 50-odd-year-old geezer that wants to fight you and you're going to get paid a million quid, would you take it? You've already beaten him twice quite convincingly. Do you fancy it? I, at 53 years of age, might go, for a million quid? Yeah. You've been serious? I might have a go at that, yeah. yeah but yeah. only for a million quid. I don't think he really wants to do it. He's only thinking about the Cheddar Ching, it's Steve Collins. I'm more concerned about Nigel Benn, because Nigel Benn's the guy... I mean, he's I d- driving it, is he? Mate, he's he's driven it. He drove the Eubank thing. Eubank's told him to clear off. He's now driving the the Steve Collins thing because if you look down the record for people that don't necessarily know about what happened between these lads in the nineties, Nigel Ben didn't win any of these fights. No, Eubank beat him convincingly in nineteen ninety. Yeah. They fought again and got a draw. That was the and Castle Grey Skull. Great fight, ninety three. Out of all of them, the best out of the lot. Definitely, no question about it. Yeah. But he didn't get a victory. No. He then goes and fights Steve Collins. In the first fight, he turns his ankle in about the third or the fourth round. Yeah. And therefore, the fight is called off because he can't continue. So he retires. But he lost it. He lost it via TKO. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't like a, a stoppage or whatever. No, he, Collins he lost was beating him. It was a TKO. Yeah, yeah, Collins were beating him because at yeah. this stage of his career in 1996, Nigel Benn was done. Uh, but he, he's fighting uh, Steve Collins at the 9X in Manchester uh, and he loses that on TKO. Then... Um, in the rematch, which only happened about four months after, because yeah. Collins went, all right, fair That's enough, right. you were injured, let's do it again. So he does it again. Steve Collins beats him up again. Mm-hmm. And that ends up and he ends quit. Nigel Benn's career. He quit, yeah. Now, Nigel Benn goes off then and does various other things. 
one of which was DJing with me in Falaraki. Absolutely loved it. One of my highlights, honestly, mate. I'm a 19, 20-year-old kid. I'm out in Falaraki DJing at uh, Legends Bar. Absolutely buzzing. I ended up having to play an extra hour at this particular bar because Nigel Ben was doing a fucking tour of the street. He was on um, the back of a like a Mardi Gras float welcoming in the fans. Nigel Ben was a big deal, man. Yeah, he yeah. was a huge yeah. deal. The whole, str- the whole of Falaraki was out going, fucking Nigel Ben's here. <laughs> and they were all absolutely buzzing off Nigel Ben. So I ended up playing an extra hour for him. I didn't mind because it was the former uh, super middleweight champion in the world. Cool, yeah. man. Get involved. Of course. So you meet Nigel Ben. He does his DJing. He was all right. He was okay. Yeah. I smashed it. He was, right? a, he was a better fighter than he was much a DJ. Better, much better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, heavy hands, let's just say. <laughs> in more terms of the word. But, you know, Nigel's doing his thing, right? And I thought to myself, all right, fair enough, you had a great boxing career. Yeah, but now I thought Nigel was in a good place in his life now, though. I thought he'd, you know, he'd found Absolutely. God. This he'd, is he'd it. been remarried. I he, think his sons are doing really well are, in a boxing game. These are all it. At that stage in the 90s, late 90s, um, early 2000s, when I saw him in the DJ world, he might not necessarily have been in the best of places. Uh, and I think he spoke about that at great length. Yeah. In the past. Now, as you've just mentioned, all these things, he lives out in Australia, he's doing all these things, and you think to yourself, sound man, you're in a good place. Why does he need to do this? And for me then, I look at maybe the support network that we should offer fighters once they've finished the career. Someone's got to get hold of these guys and say, because you, you've got to understand the mentality that they have to in order to do the sport in the first place. Yeah, yeah. Especially Nigel Ben. I mean, I he's the Nigel's, epitome of the other fighter. Yeah, he is the fighter. Is, well, exactly. I was just going to say, that's the difference here. You see, Eubank always had a bit more about him where Eubank could sell himself as other things and that's why he became a personality in TV and did a lot mm. of TV work and stage work and everything else. He realised his life after boxing and got his head around that. Steve Collins, in a lot of ways, has done a similar thing. He's done a lot of work. He lived in America for a long time. He's got his own farm, man. He's got his own yeah, farm up so, in yeah, Ireland yeah. or something like that, yeah. But with Nigel Benn, he just seemed to go from one addiction to... He, he fell out of his, his addiction with boxing into mm. other addictions, and then he his, his life fell apart with his wife and everything else, and then he, you know, it, it took him to a really dark place in his life, I believe. And then he found God and then he, he kind of reinvented himself and moved yeah. to Australia and got remarried. And he seemed like he was, he'd finally become happy with his place in the world. But it seems like the devil inside Nigel Ben, that fighter, that guy that wouldn't quit inside the ring has reared its ugly head again. And he's the one that's driving. It's like he wants to punish himself physically. He wants to, he wants to punish himself. Now, I don't know whether it's because, when I when Connor came into boxing, obviously his son Connor fought last weekend. He looks like he's gonna he's gonna be he's gonna have a, a bright future in the sport. Shades of his dad when you watch him box, they move the same way and similar aggression and everything else. It, it's strange that he can't allow Connor to do it for him now, like a lot of dads do. You go, you know what? I've had my time, son. Now I'm just gonna enjoy your ride. I'm gonna put all my energy into helping you. Why is Nigel in the in the gym clearly with his son thinking? I can still do this. I can go again. Mm. Can, how can I make some money? It's like, you, you've done it. Like, stay on the shelf, Nigel. You don't need to come back. I don't know. Uh, maybe it's a financial thing. I don't know. You, you'd say, Dave, it's not necessarily financial with Nigel. He just wants to get these this 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 weight off his back because he never won any of these fights. But they, Steve Collins and Chris Eubank were only two opponents on Nigel Ben's illustrious almost 50 fight career. You know, he was a world champion in his own right. Beat Jeremy Absolutely phenomenal world champion. Two weight world champion, of course. Mm. Um, you know, he had an incredible career. One of the best fighters this country's ever produced. Mm. I just wish he was as happy with his place in the, in, in the world and in boxing history as we are as fans. Mm. It's okay. frightening that he wants to come back. 
as you said, British Border Boxing Control have come out and said, well, we're not going to sanction it. Various promoters have said, well, I'm not going to promote it. So where does this... I just hope... Just hope this doesn't like go underground or, or something no, like that. No, I, I don't think it will. I don't think it will because I don't think Steve Collins will, will no, I don't go think it would. there. And the only way it makes decent money is if it makes it onto TV. Absolutely. The only yeah. way it gets onto TV is if it's legit. Unfortunately, it ain't legit. It ain't going to get on TV. Sky won't pick it up. Um, you know, there's potentially a conversation with Box Nation. I wouldn't like to put words in anybody's mouth, but then who would promote it? I wouldn't, you know, Frank Warren wouldn't necessarily be associated with something like this. So. I don't know, it's a weird one. The problem there, of course, is the board as well. The board controller will be like, well, listen, we ain't sanctioning it, so you can't start putting it on your promotion and we're going to mm. sanction people for the undercard. We have seen, we have seen um, people get uh, licenses elsewhere, though, haven't we? You know what it I mean? can like happen. Going out to Malta. Oh, and, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Like listen, the Malta Commission will, will sanction this tomorrow. They'll sanction me to fight Nigel Ben. They don't care as long as they get their money. That's not how it works out there, but the point is, if, if the only way it's going to happen is for seven figures... Well, that kind of that should be the, hopefully the final nail in the coffin because mm. there isn't seven figures worth of fans out there that are willing to pay for this. Surely, there you go. Um, hope you've enjoyed today's show. It's been an absolute blast once again. We are back next week, hopefully with Robbie Davis Jr. on the show. Yeah, gonna have some news on Masha's fight at Prenton Park as well. Mm. Obviously, we said last week Steve Brogan was right in the mix if he won that English title at the weekend. He, he did not. Mm. He lost. He lost convincingly as well. Unfortunately, Steve Brogan. So that fight of uh, Baconhead versus Skelmersdale is now. Looks like it's more than likely going to be off. Mm. So we're just waiting now to see where that leaves Masha in terms of this fight at Prenton Park. Mm. Uh, we'll have more on that next week. And like I said, Robbie Davis Jr. is on the undercard of Chris Eubank Jr. Uh, next weekend. So we'll uh, have him on the show uh, for a little bit of a chat uh, on next week's Radio City Talk Show. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast because there's plenty for you this week at fightdisciples.com. It's all there for you. Episode 115 tomorrow goes in on Pacquiao Horn. We talk about uh, Michael Conlon's performance uh, on the undercard there uh, and various other things that happen in the world of boxing throughout the course of the last seven days. Uh, we will catch you next time. Thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, subscribe via iTunes.